Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Strachan. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. Picture a mermaid. Now, let me think about what you're thinking about. If you're like me, a person who was born in the 1980s, probably the first thing you think of is Ariel, the protagonist of Disney's Little Mermaid. Or, maybe because you see them everywhere, you're thinking of the Starbucks logo. Or, if you are more historically inclined and nautically inclined, then maybe you're thinking about a wooden figure carved onto the front of a ship. Or, who knows, maybe you're thinking of a Lisa Frank binder. There were mermaid tundos, right? But, in all those cases, you're probably picturing something that looks, you know, human. Well, human and fish, but human. Attractive, even. An appealing human. And certainly nothing that resembles a nasty, snaggletooth, decaying monkey corpse. But for years in the 1800s and the early 1900s, the most famous mermaid in the world, or rather the United States and Britain, it was not anything that looked remotely human. It was not a teenager who hung out with Jamaican crabs, or a double-tailed mermaid that wanted to sell you coffee, or a sexy hood ornament for boats. No, for a long time, the most famous mermaid in the world was a dead, decaying horror made out of animal parts and promoted by America's most famous huckster, P.T. Barnum. It was called the Fiji Mermaid. Go ahead and look for it on Google Images. It is nasty-looking. Did you Google it? Yeah. That thing is horrific in all the ways that more traditional mermaids are not. And if you thought that that looked nothing like a mermaid and more like the top half of a dead monkey stuck to the bottom half of a fish, well, you would be absolutely right. This is exactly what the Fiji mermaid is. And for years, it was one of the most famous attractions in the U.S., and it really made P.T. Barnum's career. We don't know exactly who put the thing together. But supposedly, it's not from Fiji at all, but Japan. The story is that an American sea captain bought it from some Dutch sailors in 1822, and supposedly they had bought it from some Japanese merchants. In 1822, Japan still had closed borders that prevented trade with foreigners, and it would remain that way until Commodore Perry showed up in 1853. So if you wanted to buy Japanese stuff, like horrifying taxidermy, you had to go through the Dutch. And apparently this sort of taxidermy, of sticking one thing to another thing, was not entirely unknown in Japan at the time. The American sea captain, Samuel Edes, the guy who bought the mermaid from the Dutch guys who bought it from the Japanese guys, he displayed the mermaid in London to middling success. Apparently the market for nasty-looking Japanese taxidermy was not huge. Eventually the captain passed away, and his son brought the mermaid to Boston, where it came to the attention of P.T. Barnum. And up until now, the supposed mermaid had been on display for all comers, but it hadn't really been marketed well. At the time, Barnum was running a museum that had not yet caught the public's eye. This is a thing that would draw the public's attention to him. I'm going to let the huckster, though, speak for himself. This was the thing that made Barnum's career. And the reason it made his career was not so much in the content of the exhibit. After all, the Fiji mermaid had been on display for some time, and it hadn't really caught fire. But in how it was marketed, how it was promoted. And here's how Barnum describes his, let's call them, marketing methods in his autobiography. Quote, 
how to modify general incredulity in the existence of mermaids, so far as to awaken curiosity to see and examine the specimen, was now the all-important question. Some extraordinary means must be resorted to, and I saw no better method than to start the ball a-rolling at some distance from the center of attraction. In due time, a communication appeared in the New York Herald, dated and mailed in Montgomery, Alabama, giving the news of the day, trade, the crops, political gossip, etc., and also in an incidental paragraph about a certain Dr. Griffin, agent of the Lyceum of Natural History in London, who had in his possession a most remarkable curiosity, being nothing less than a veritable mermaid taken among the Fiji Islands and preserved in China, where the doctor had bought it for a high figure for the Lyceum of Natural History. A week or ten days afterward, a letter of similar tenor, dated and mailed in Charleston, South Carolina, varying, of course, in the items of local news, was published in another New York paper. This was followed by a third letter, dated and mailed in Washington City, published in still another New York paper, there being, in addition, the expressed hopes that the editors of the Empire City would beg a sight of the extraordinary curiosity before Dr. Griffin took ship for England. A few days subsequently to the publication of this thrice-repeated announcement, Mr. Lyman, who was my employee, was duly registered at one of the principal hotels in Philadelphia as Dr. Griffin. His gentlemanly, dignified, yet social manners and liberality gained him a fine reputation for a few days, and when he paid his bill one afternoon preparatory to leaving for New York, the next day he expressed his thanks to the landlord for special attention and courtesy. If you will step to my room, said Lyman, alias Griffin, I will permit you to see something that will surprise you. Whereupon the landlord was shown the most extraordinary curiosity in the world, a mermaid. He was so highly gratified and interested that he earnestly begged permission to introduce certain friends of his, including several editors, to view the wonderful specimen. The result might easily be gathered from the editorial columns of the Philadelphia papers a day or two subsequently to that interview with the mermaid. Suffice to say that the plan worked admirably, and the Philadelphia press aided the press of New York in awakening a wide-reaching and increasing curiosity to see the mermaid. I may as well confess that those three communications from the South were written by myself and forwarded to friends of mine with instructions respectively to mail them, each on the day of its date. This fact and the corresponding postmarks did much to prevent suspicion of a hoax, and the New York editors thus unconsciously contributed to my arrangements for bringing the mermaid to public notice. Unquote. So, what this guy did is that he basically pretended to be a bunch of other people, saying, oh my god, guys, have you heard about this mermaid-type thing? Man, this guy is staying in New York, and it would be great if that's on display. And meanwhile, he has a friend of his, an employee, impersonating some kind of English scientist-type dude, gaining himself a reputation, and later on, he lets slip, oh, by the way, hey, I got a mermaid. And, this is very, very clever here, what Barnum does is that he's doing a workaround. It seems, from his description, the desire to see the mermaid came from him basically hijacking other people who took a look at it and said, hey, you must see this, and they showed their friends. We have a word for that nowadays. It's called going viral. Basically, getting other people to spread your thing. Getting newspaper editors and the guy at the hotel and the guy he showed to his friends, well, he got them to use word of mouth and virality to make this thing 
into a phenomenon. And it worked. The mermaid was extraordinarily popular at Barnum's New York Museum. And it doesn't seem like Barnum actually for real fooled anyone with the mermaid. It doesn't seem like naturalists or biologists were suddenly scrambling to revise their books to include this really horrifying aquatic animal primate thing. But the attraction brought in the crowds. There was buzz. The Fiji mermaid served as the foundations for Barnum's eventual sideshow empire. He would go on to have all kinds of other exhibits and freaks and shows and hoaxes. But this was his first one. This was his foundation. This made him. A monkey stuck to a fish. If you're a good enough huckster, that can make your career. As for the Fiji mermaid, though, we don't know what happened to it. Barnum toured the United States with the artifact, where it delighted and disgusted several onlookers, and in 1859, Barnum took it on a tour to London. Most of the time, the mermaid went back and forth between two museums, one in New York and one in Boston. And of its fate, the going theory is that it was probably destroyed when the museum in Boston caught fire. So the original Fiji mermaid, Barnum's Fiji mermaid, is probably gone. But it is possible that Harvard, yes, that Harvard, has a mermaid. It looks a bit different than Barnum's original mermaid, what we get from the newspaper's illustrations promoting it, but it's possible that the specimen there was damaged by fire and is indeed the actual original, but we'll never know. After the success of Barnum's mermaid, several other specimens in other sideshows popped up around the countries, and other would-be Barnums promoted basically the same thing. You may have seen some of them. I've seen some of them. A few years ago I was in Seattle, and I spent some time with a friend of mine at this tourist trap-type cabinet of curiosities. It was filled with transparently fake exhibits, fake dead people, fake dead animals, actual dead animals, and they had a Fiji mermaid there. It was delightful and sickening. And there is many a bar and many a curiosity shop that sports the front of a monkey adhered to the back of a fish. A mermaid, guys. It's totally a mermaid. In 1910... 100 years after P.T. Barnum's birth. This is what the New York Times had to say about him. Quote, The showman whose birth 100 years ago is being solemnly remembered would not have employed his method so successfully in this age. Much of his advertising was fraudulent. It would have come under the ban of present laws or would have been excluded by the business managers of newspapers. The superlatives he employed with such efforts upon the minds and pockets of parents and children would bring him in little revenue now. The writers of our advertising columns have largely abandoned superlatives for words that describe with accuracy the merits of their goods and displays. But Mr. Barnum was perhaps the first man in this country to demonstrate the value of widespread advertising. He showed that, even with the handicap of humbuggery, it was profitable. The American people delight in being told beforehand what they should have for their money. They no longer pay to see the Fiji mermaid, the gray-white elephant, the century-and-a-half-old woman, and they have learned that the living skeletons, the fat ladies, the pygmies, the giants, the glass-eaters, and the rubber-skinned and the elephant-skinned gentlemen are suffering from pitiable diseases that make their exposure a public sin. Those who come after him are finding out what the public really wants and are meeting a genuine demand for the better things in life. Unquote. That's from 1910. That sounds naive reading it today. Today, today there are still plenty of P.D. Parnums. There are still plenty of scams. There are still plenty of Fiji mermaids. Check your spam folder. 
search for recalls on products that never really worked in the first place. Watch late night TV and watch infomercials for products that don't work, solving problems that don't exist and don't need to be solved. We might be a bit more sophisticated, yes. We might have a better sense of irony. We might recognize tropes better. We have the foundations to know that there are scammers out there, sure. But over a hundred years ago, the New York Times sounded naive dismissing him. There will always be a P.T. Barnum out there, and they will always try to sell you a Fiji mermaid. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just doing this podcast, and I would love it if you donated. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com to sign up for a monthly donation. That is what keeps this thing afloat, and it is the reason why this thing has zero, none, zip in the way of advertisements. It's just because of you. It's just because you decide to support it. Again, interestingtimespodcast.com. Sign up for a monthly contribution on Patreon. And thank you oh so much to people who are already donating. You guys are rad. Uh, go to iTunes to give us a rating and review. Also, go on Facebook and click the like button. That is facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. I'm also on Twitter, at joestreckert. Follow me. I say things occasionally. Follow me on Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. My Tumblr, it's mostly retro sci-fi pictures. And if you like that sort of thing, well, I will give you that very, very occasionally because I really do not know how to Tumblr. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.